Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. This is an, it's not really an instant reaction. This is the morning after reaction uh, on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm Brett Rutherford and joined by Danny Russell. Uh, Danny We've got stadium news, and uh, I'm not usually the biggest fan of talking about the stadium saga on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, but we have to because I think this is maybe one of the biggest pieces of news we've got in the last few years, and that is that the city of St. Petersburg has se- has selected the, the Rays-Hines redevelopment plan for the historic gas plant district, which is the plot of land that Tropicana Field currently sits on. So first off, Danny, I mean, what, what does this mean? Uh, it means we've made the most progress we ever have toward a new stadium since that referendum that never went to a vote in the 2000s. This is the most progress that's ever been made. It does not guarantee a stadium, to be clear. Uh, there are all kinds of negotiations that have not happened, but it does mean that St. Petersburg is prioritizing the Rays and are trying to make as much, uh, I guess, a uh, free space for the race to operate and choose their own adventure when it comes to building a new stadium. Does this also mean that the Rays are prioritizing St. Pete? Um, I think Brian Ald said in a press conference yesterday that it's not out of the question that the Rays end up in a new stadium on the Hillsborough County side of Tampa Bay, but it feels like at the moment, maybe that's just because it's where the money is and it's where they've got the most traction that, that it's more likely that the Rays end up, in the Pinellas County side. Yeah. When it comes to money, you have to think that the Rays are staying in St. Pete because Pinellas County is just sitting on a treasure chest of money that they haven't spent. Whereas Hillsborough County, unless they pass some sort of new tax legislation, like they did to build Ray J that doesn't exist on the Hillsborough side. And so you need something to happen that the public doesn't know about, or Mm -hmm. that the future has not been told about for a stadium to happen in Hillsborough. Now, maybe one of those X factors is Daryl Shaw, who has bought up the waterfront property that would be the most likely location for a Ray Stadium in Tampa and obviously is probably the sexiest location you could put a new baseball stadium. But Pinellas County <laughs> has the money. <laughs> it seems that simple. Even teams that don't need a new stadium get a new stadium when a county says, hey, would you like all this money to play sports in our county arlington has done that for the texas rangers they got a brand new ballpark when they definitely didn't need one unless you don't like heat uh but you know you're already playing in texas i think that's part of the game uh atlanta got their brand new stadium when it wasn't necessarily a need and that essentially happened in the dark of night no one knew a new stadium was coming and all of a sudden in two years there it is so you gotta follow the money for the most part and also, like, okay, you mentioned the land that Daryl Shaw purchased. Logistically, I don't think that plot of land makes, like, a ton of sense. And they are running out of area. If you want it to be closer to the downtown area in Tampa, which has gone through its own kind of, you know, cha- evolution in the last few years, 
I, I don't know how many other places there are for a stadium in Hillsborough County. That's in an ideal location. Yeah, you could go up, to, you know, north of Tampa. You could go east to the fairgrounds in between, you know, I-4, I-75. But not only is there not, there's a lack of money in Hillsborough County, there's there's really not many places to build a stadium and everything that goes with it, the parking. And, and obviously part of this this Heinz development plan, and we can touch on this, is the is the surrounding neighborhood that, the plan is to to build around a ballpark, I think, similar to what we do see in Atlanta with the Battery and uh, Truist Park, their their new stadium. Uh, that's absolutely right. You you have to think of it as almost being a neighborhood that can be constructed around a stadium at this point, unless you're dropping that stadium into an existing neighborhood. When it comes to the Tampa side, I mean, just to run through, we should be we should be celebrating St. Pete right now. I feel, but yeah, I sorry. feel like the audience <laughs> wants to think about Tampa. No, it's so true and it's so accurate though. It's like, yay, St. Pete. And the way we feel this way for many reasons. One, attendance is what it is. Is attendance going? I mean, maybe that first year attendance spikes uh, because it's a brand new stadium, yeah. but it's going to fall right back down again because only 10% of the Tampa Bay region lives within a 30 minute drive of St. Petersburg. Tampa Bay as a population is massive and sprawling and St. Pete is almost as far away as you could get unless you wanted to go build it next to the Skyway bridge or something. So this is not, (laughs) which is technically Hillsborough County. The Skyway bridge is technically Hillsborough County. (laughs) See, you learn something new every day. Uh, Current Skyway bridge, future destination of whatever locks have to build to keep climate change from flooding all of Tampa (laughs) Bay. Um, Tampa Bay locks. Uh, anyway, it's it's just a tough spot to be. And it seems unlikely that a brand new stadium is going to solve many of those problems unless you build out the population of St. Petersburg, which is where creating this massive neighborhood around the new stadium where a bunch of people can live and thrive and be. I mean, that's that seems like the future of St. Pete. And this kind of steps on the gas. And maybe that helps attendance along the way. Maybe more corporations move into the area. But it's it's still going to be a long road to fixing attendance problems and spiking revenue. And I think by putting the raise in the driver's seat of the redevelopment plan, you what you get out of that relationship with Heinz is if the raises are staying in St. Pete, is a prioritization on their revenue streams and allowing them to have a bigger payroll, allowing them to have more money generally. And this is just how major league sports works in america you need to get as much money into the team as possible Mm -hmm. so that then you can get a better product on the field for the most part let's talk about tampa real quick where at this point what are the options in tampa how possibly could hillsborough lure away the tampa bay rays and bring them over there and what does that mean for the rays and Hines being picked in st pete if that were the future uh number one there's the shop location on the waterfront honestly it looks great I'm not as worried about you are as logistics other than like filling in the land a little bit, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure you have to make sure environmentally and everything's secure and that the stadium can be built there. I'm guessing that they've already thought about that quite a bit. If you're the Tampa Bay Rays and all the architects that you hired to build all these um, or or render all these designs, not the first waterfront stadium in major league history. Mm -hmm. The the overall point though, is there's still what Joe Shaw calls the gas works development. which he has been slowly buying up all that old Ybor city land that the Rays wanted to build on. And that stretches all the way from the Tampa park apartments complex that is now being redeveloped all the way over to Ikea. 
uh, eventually. You have to think all that land is going to be bought up and developed. And there's that little U-shape around the water where Daryl Shaw is buying all of that and developing all of that as well. So I'm not worried about that getting its neighborhood. Also, you get to tap the benefits in the immediate of everything in Tampa that already exists and people can ride trolleys. You can park your cars in tons of locations on the east side of Ebor. So I'm not actually that worried about uh, a neighborhood popping up there if that were the location. Uh, other existing spots in downtown, I mean, your only other options at this point are where the public school systems are. You actually right. have a lot of really nice riverfront, like high schools and stuff. Well, I think the Blake uh, High you, School off the top of my mind. Exactly right. And there's a middle school right next to it, which I'm blanking on the name of, and I feel bad, but <laughs> uh, I didn't go to that middle school. So Nobody remembers me. middle school. Uh, or you try not to. <laughs> I mean, the one issue with, with, with that, and I, this is a completely separate issue that, that the Hillsborough County School District is dealing with, is that they have a shortage of, of schools to deal with the growing population in Hillsborough County, and they don't have any money to build the schools. Um, so, uh, Well, if only a, a millionaire, multimillionaire, could drop out of the sky and build a brand new high school, that wouldn't that be, be something? a solution? You could build it somewhere else nearby. And maybe that doesn't have the same waterfront appeal. But I mean, if you just look on Google Maps and you're like, what's that beautiful park? It's not a beautiful park. It's the high school and their like track <laughs> <laughs> and, and weird stuff like that could very easily be developed. And you just got to move to school. And I'm sure all of the old folks in Tampa would hem and haw about how dare you move to school. But if you're building a brand new school, state of the art, beautiful, massive facility somewhere else and pumping that money in the community, then sure. But again, what am I saying here? I'm not saying the Rays get a handout of money. I'm saying basically Stu Sternberg or Dale Shaw, whoever has to be, has to spend more money to pave the way there. And that doesn't make sense generally in terms of how this usually works. Uh, the other location in my mind, just to tie out uh, the Tampa thing, and then we should talk about St. Pete a little bit more, is I still believe the Buccaneers location uh, on Dale Mabry is rife for development opportunity. We've already mm -hmm. seen Midtown Tampa pop up, and I don't know if you've ever tried to park there just to go to Whole Foods. It is feels quite <laughs> impossible, right? You're like, I'm glad there's an REI there. I'm never getting a parking spot. <laughs> it's a great location, and that can just extend north. You go north side of the highway, and you could build so much more, four to five times the amount of Midtown Tampa development, or whatever that's called uh, officially, and just build it out and go north and yeah you'd have to kick out the yankees but guess what the rays would super benefit from kicking out the yankees you could build a new buck stadium which they want as well uh tampa is never divorcing the bucks uh so that new stadium will find its way the glazers are some of the richest sports people in the world uh especially if they sell man united which is being discussed so i still think there's within the realm of possibility that you could have a Rays and Buccaneers co-complex right there on Dale Mabry uh, that also creates a brand new development that gets built out. That's my plug for that idea. Um, you never, never sleep on the ability of multi-billionaires to just make things happen if they want to. Um, but yeah, short of any of that stuff happening, you need public money and the public money is in Pinellas County. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Which still just makes it feel like that is the the most uh, feasible option. And so speaking on this from the perspective of uh, the fans, um, St. Pete, I I saw there was a lot of discourse on Twitter like, oh, they're just repeating the same mistakes. They're staying in St. Pete. It's not going to fix attendance. Um, St. Pete, in my opinion, though, is a better place for a Rays stadium than uh, Nashville, than Vegas, than Montreal. Um, And ultimately, for me as a fan, the fact that it is trending in the direction, there's still a lot, there's still a lot to be done. And there's still, there's not much time, but there's still enough time for this to blow up and the Rays to start considering a relocation to a place like Nashville. But while it's trending in this direction, I'm just happy that it looks like the team is going to be staying in the Tampa Bay area. Neither of us live in the Tampa Bay area anymore, uh, but I think that, at least for me, I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself, that area is special, and I want the team to stay there forever and ever. Of course. Uh, Tampa Bay is where the race should be, and relocation would be a gut punch and just super sad for everyone involved. No one wants relocation to happen, uh, except for the Oakland A's. I'm just saying, you've got like what? a 15% market share in San Francisco and sewage flooding their stadium. That's not what the Rays are dealing with. Yeah. Right. The, the Rays are in a completely different situation where they're a competitive and good baseball team. They're beloved in Florida. They are very well watched on television. It's not a matter of fan uh, engagement. It's fan attendance. And right. that is peanuts compared to the overall issues that plague some teams that have no support. So the Rays are supported enough, and I okay. L- the last thing we didn't talk about is, does this guarantee a race stadium? No, it doesn't. Nope. Uh, it means that St. Pete's uh, mayor's office is recommending to the city council that they choose the developer, Heinz. Heinz has a partner in the Tampa Bay Rays, and if you had not picked the Heinz plan, the Rays made it pretty clear that they weren't going to stay in St. Pete. Or, well, I mean, they talked a big talk about it, but yeah, they, it, you know, again, follow the money. If it had been Sugar Hill, do you really think the Rays would turn down the money at the end of the day? I think no. Uh, but they would have made a big stink about it and they would have had to do all sorts of like hardball negotiation. A lot of that is out of the way because the Rays control the rights to redeveloping of the space until 2028 due to their lease. So this at least creates a partnership with the Rays and makes things able to happen and move forward tomorrow or as soon as things get approved. The complication there is nothing in that plan is guaranteed. And the Rays at any point could decide this is not where we're building a stadium. 
It's just that they are partnering with Heinz and mm. therefore all of the negotiation about how does the, the proceeds of redeveloping land that the race control and all, all of those tough questions presumably have already been settled between the Rays and Heinz. Yes. Now let's say that the plan goes ahead. The stadium is built in the historic gas plant district. And what, what what happens? Like it's on the same air. And I don't think the stadium would be built exactly where the Trop is built. Would they start construction and still be playing major league baseball at Tropicana field to try to get this thing ready in the next you know few years? That is exactly what would happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, It'd be the parking lot. You'd lose the parking lot. Yeah. Because if, if outside of Tropicana Field, as I'm sure you've noticed, and listener, I'm sure you recall, there actually is this little creek babbling through, yes. <laughs> and you have to take little foot bridges over. Uh, that creek doesn't need to be paved over. It can be a very robust creek. And in all the redevelopment plans, as I'm sure you might have noticed, there's like this waterfront situation happening. It's that creek that's been paved over. You would just go to the other side of that creek and start building your stadium first. Now, what I would say is there's going to be like growing pains about this. It's not going to be like Atlanta where you just get to pick up and move and you walk into a beautiful space that's finished. Right. You're going to be living in the house while you are renoing it. You know, it's like watching Fixer Upper, but you also have to be cooking in the kitchen while Chip Gaines is smashing through the wall. It's going to be <laughs> a weird time for everyone. But eventually there'll be a brand new stadium and things starting to be built around it. But it's what well, it could be like into the well into the 2030s Oof. you know when does that development feel like it's over 2035 it's all going to be staged out and piecemealed along the way because you're redoing it in the place where you are so yeah. i actually am minorly concerned minorly not minor league uh minorly concerned bigly. that it's it, it, oh, it bigly china excuse me edit that out <laughs> don't edit it it's fine leave it in um, it's, it's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a tough time. And, you know, the Tropicana field is going to have to be dismantled at some point slowly. It's all going to be such a strange experience to be seeing one stadium going up. And then even when you're in that one, the other one's like slowly being taken down. I know like the White Sox somewhat dealt with this back in the day with uh, their unfortunate yeah. decision to build U.S. Cellular and, and move out of Comiskey. But my goodness, it it's not going to be this incredible, sexy time. Uh, I said sexy twice on this podcast. This is a really early morning podcast. It's, it's currently <laughs> eight twenty seven on the East Coast. <laughs> this is what this is how this podcast <laughs> is going. Oh, let's but we're forward. this is Rays baseball. Like we embrace the weird, right? It's there's never been a normal time in Rays history. Um, so however this goes, if it happens, like we said, big if, um, but I, I, I embrace the weird and if it, what's it going to do lower attendance? Oh no. No, it's not it's exactly right. It's only going to increase attendance and you just got to deal with the growing pains of construction where you're at. All right, Danny, uh, we've talked about the stadium, but it's been a while since I've put out a raise your voice this off season. There's been quite a bit of, of baseball-oriented news. Um, so I want to start. We've got three extensions. I'll throw out the three, and I'll let you pick where we go first. Jeffrey Springs, Pete Fairbanks, and Yandy Diaz, three of my favorite players. But I'm interested. Who do you want to talk about first? 
Ooh, let's start with Springs. Okay, Springs was the first deal to come down. Four years, $31 million for a guy who a couple of years ago was DFA'd from the Boston Red Sox and traded to the Rays. It took the Rays' top catching prospect, Ronaldo Hernandez, to bring in Jeffrey Springs. He was a reliever. Now he's a starter, and now he's a mega millionaire. I'm, it's such a good story, and it's a little weird because he's no Springs chicken. He is 30, and you're signing him to a multi-year extension. I mean, this is like Zach Eflin money, and Zach Eflin <laughs> is the largest free agent deal that the Rays have ever signed, ever, in Major League history, like ever. And this is a comparable price for what you're giving to uh, Jeffrey Springs, uh, who is completely unheralded, who has been designated for assignment, and has completely rejuvenated his career. I am so pumped for this kind of story. And this is, you talk about embracing the weird. Kudos to the Rays for looking at that situation and saying, you know what? He's worth it. We should be locking this player in. We should be locking him up for the long haul and seeing the potential and securing that for the future, no matter what his background was or, or how he was acquired along the way. With Springs, too, like this is also just the cost of doing business. Look at the deals. Look at the deal that Zach Eflin got, and some Rays fans are like, this seems like an overpay. If you have to dip into the free agent market, that's what you're going to spend. So if you've got someone that you truly believe is a major league caliber starting pitcher, yes, he is at age 30, but, you know, the timeline differs for pitchers. Springs also has a lot less workload on it, a lot less innings on his arm over his career because he was a reliever. I know he spent some time in the minors as a starter, but... He hasn't been throwing 200 innings a year for the last, you know, 10 seasons. Um, so he it does have a lot less run on his arm. Also, you look at the the state of the Rays rotation. You've got Tyler Glass now, I think, for two more years. Uh, Shane McClanahan mm-hmm. still pre-arb. Shane Boz is going to miss the entire season. Um, Drew Rasmussen. But you look into the prospects, other than Taj Bradley and then, like, maybe, you know, Mason Montgomery and Cole Wilcox, there's not like this huge rush of starting pitching talent that's coming up through the Rays system. So if you can lock a guy like Springs up for, you know, the next four years, which is about as far as I think the Rays look into the future for guys not named Wander Franco, I think that that's an easy deal for both sides, right? Springs locks up that first fortune and, and the Rays get to keep a guy that they really believe in. They believed in enough they believed in him enough to make him a starter and We'll see how that continues this year, but he was one of the most effective starting pitchers in all of Major League Baseball last year and definitely one of the most effective left-handers. I think the Rays computer system, people, people, does the calculations and says, well, how many innings has he thrown? And I think that probably plays a good deal into how you end up getting the price point and what you're comfortable signing for a long-term extension. Because you're exactly right. He was a starter in the minors and had that ability and then showed up, showed the ability to adjust, showed the ability to go the distance. And they were like, holy crap, let's just have him start anyway. They were in a pinch and they needed it. And also just an incredible person to have around. Yeah, His ability to to pitch uh, when he was dealing with a baby in the hospital Mm. not that i'm saying anyone should ever have to put like their work first and i don't think he did to be clear the race fully supported him i talked to jeffrey springs about this myself and 
I mean, he was shell-shocked talking through it. I mean, you could tell that his priorities were very clear. I'm going to pitch and then I'm getting on a plane and I'm back to see my family and I'll do my workouts at the drop and I'll show up for my next start. And then I'm back, you know, sleeping in a chair next to my kid's hospital bed. Mm -hmm. You know, the ability to balance your life in that way and support your teammates um, at any point in time, the Rays would have just let him go take the time that he needed. Like, it just needs to be abundantly clear. No one asked that of him, but right. he could bear it on his shoulders. And so he took it. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just blown away by it. And, and you compare that with recovering from injury along the way uh, in minor ways that are not con- like big long-term concerns for the future. Reconstructing a knee is super normal in sports at this point. Um, I, just a great A person, also a great teammate and uh, a good friend with other players that you want to have locked in already, including Brandon Lau, uh, who is back to 100% health and should be in the starting lineup come uh, opening day 2023. Mm -hmm. And his other best friend is who? Who is it? Pete Fairbanks. Oh, Pete Pete Fairbanks, yes. Real quick, though, on Jeffrey Springs, I do want to plug Andrea at the Scout Girl Report on Twitter. She's a former guest on the podcast. Um, She's back on Twitter after spending a year working with the Yankees organization. And uh, she Mm -hmm. posted a great breakdown of Jeffrey Springs and kind of explaining why he is as effective as he is. Um, But let's get into the Pete Fairbanks deal. A three-year, $12 million extension uh, could be worth up to $25 million. And going back to the Springs deal one more time, that could actually Mm -hmm. be maxed out at... I believe north of like 65 million, like that's if he wins the Cy Young and hits these innings and, but still like a lot of incentives built into these deals. So Pete Fairbanks, three years, 12 million could be up to 25 million Um, when he's been healthy. And I know there were some questions about his health really at the end of last season when he couldn't feel his fingers in the playoffs. Um, has been one of the best relievers in baseball. And Danny, I'm, I'm going to make you eat crow a little bit here. Uh, the Rays acquired Pete Fairbanks in a trade for Nick Solak that I know you weren't a fan of at the time, but I want to ask you now how you <laughs> feel about the Rays locking up Pete Fairbanks uh, for the rest of his arbitration years. If only they had Nick Solak. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I I feel like my, my complaints about the process of that trade are valid. I am okay, so fair. grateful to to salvage a great result out of that uh, trade that I don't feel good about generally. Um, Pete Fairbanks is also a great human and also a great baseball player. And it's very unraised like to try to lock up a starter for the long term. Uh, Excuse me, (laughs) a a, a closer. (laughs) We've been talking about Jeffrey Spring. It's it's not Uh, that likely that they do it with a starter. It's even less likely they do it with a reliever. Right. You've got Grant Balfour. <laughs> you know, there's there's a couple examples over the years where, you know, they tried to to guarantee years of high leverage and it doesn't always pan out. But with the prices rising to what they are, you're gonna be giving your high leverage options at least four million anyway. And if he's performing like a top of the line closer, he makes less money overall than a top of the line closer would make. If you think of what the top relievers are making, I mean, Edwin and Diaz is, you know, making Steve Cohen money. So that's not what we're talking about. But somewhere in between, $4 million is a lot of money for a reliever generally. 
even still when you can backfill so many of those uh, out of the minor league system, especially through the Rays. But then giving him the option through performance uh, and maybe more likely achievable than things like I want to Cy Young, like is in uh, the Springs deal. Uh, um, I, I'm sure those innings incentives are great, but it seems more likely to me that Pete Fairbanks, if and when healthy, will stretch over into that 20 million dollar range and you know i'm i'm pumped for him and i hope that it keeps him performing at a high level in in a very if there is such a thing for the rays a low risk move you you just guaranteed 12 million dollars like that's what right. you paid yoshi tutsugo and and that went nowhere um so for fairbanks to get him locked in at that pretty much that fixed rate he's gonna make uh i believe well how it's listed on fan graphs and these aren't always a hundred percent accurate um, 3.7 million over the next three years. And then you've got that, that option for 2026 just seems like a very low risk deal, but for Fairbanks, again, good to lock in those millions of dollars. You never know as a reliever, you know, I'm knocking on wood, look at Nick Anderson, right? His career is basically over now and he never got a deal like this. Um, so for Fairbanks, who's dealt, he's had Tommy John twice. I want to say, um, again, it just seems great all around for, for, for both parties. And it, these extensions, I think the theme is they just make sense for, for everybody involved. Yeah. And they're, they're good for baseball. You yeah. want to have your best players and your stars locked in. You want to have that familiarity with the product on the field. If you're a fan, um, you know, in the blogosphere, the greater wider internet, uh, I think the Rays, get a lot of dings for their mistakes or uh, for trying new things, but this is good old fashioned locking in your players. And I think everybody benefits. This is, this should be celebrated. Definitely. The, the last one, uh, my personal favorite player on the team, a guy who I thought his days on the team were, he, he wasn't very long for the Rays, is, is what I thought going into this off season. And that was Yandy Diaz. He was the best hitter on the team last year, 3.8 F4. He had a 146 WRC plus with a beautiful 14% walk rate, the best eyes in baseball. And he gets signed, and I just had it pulled up, to a three-year, $24 million contract. I think I was most shocked by this one. I think the Fairbanks deal was shocking. The Springs deal caught me off guard. But again, I thought Yandy Diaz, you, you look at the guys that are coming up, the infield's already really crowded. Yandy Diaz is in arbitration. It felt like a time that the Rays would send him off to the next team. So, Yandy Diaz, uh, what are what are his positions that he could potentially play? First base and third base? Great. Uh, you have Curtis Mead coming up at third base, and you have Kyle Mazzardo coming up at first base. Where is his future fit on this organization is an open question for me personally with that being, and all that but generally speak yeah with, with that being said we we talked about the transition the rays went through in 2022 that didn't all work out and injuries played a role in that but you're like okay we'll trade joey wendell and we'll replace him with with taylor walls we'll trade austin meadows and we'll replace him with josh lowe i'm glad we're not just counting on Curtis Mead and Kyle Manzardo to come up this year and replace a guy that had a 146 WRC plus. But there is someone Yandy Diaz is replacing. And that's the mystery person the Rays didn't sign this season. <laughs> that's true. 
I'm in all honesty, if the Rays had been able to sign a free agent like Michael Brantley, who seemed like he made a lot of sense for the Rays, and he said, you know what, I live in Houston, my family loves it here, I'd really like to stay if I can, and they worked it out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if Michael Brantley's not walking through that door, who is? And I think there's been a lot of, you know, writing, particularly in the Tampa Bay Times, saying, uh, well, you guys said you were going to go get a bat, and you didn't. Well, the reality is, is the Rays have now locked in that bat that they didn't go get. It's just Yandy Diaz. It's the entity that you already know versus that thing that you don't. And I think you can kind of plug the Yandy Diaz extension into whoever that free agent would have been this offseason in the overall equation. And, you know, you, we, 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 I think everybody's talked about, oh, the, the addition is a healthy Wander Franco and Brandon Lau. And while we can hope for that, injuries are always going to happen and you always want to have, you always want to be replenishing your roster. And offensively, the Rays didn't really do that. But I think, not to take a too big picture here, but you're counting on uh, maybe some more development from the Taylor Walls, Vidal Brujans, and Josh Lowe's of the world, um, while also hoping, for, like, another guy who now I think his spot on the roster is a little bit unclear because of the Diaz extension is Isak Paredes, who hit 20 home runs last year, like kind of out of nowhere, was never a mm-hmm. massive power guy. He's like kind of what we expected Yandy Diaz to be when the Rays acquired him from Cleveland, this guy that's built like a power hitter that just hadn't hit home runs. Well, Paredes started hitting home runs, and I know you can plug him in at second, at first, or at third. Um, what do you think the impact on uh, that the Yanni Diaz extension is having on on Paredes for this year? Uh, for this year, I think it just puts him more into a platoon role than he was previously. I think the Rays over-relied on uh, Paredes last year than they were expecting to. And I feel like there's a hint in this Diaz extension of, well, maybe Paredes was overperforming a little bit. Yeah, And, you know, if Pete Bendix dropped into the podcast and told you that, we'd all be like, yeah, that probably makes sense. <laughs> or like no Harold Ramirez, who was probably overperforming a little bit. Yeah, probably. Or they're just being used in a super ideal way. You know, the other person that the my I question what their future is based on the Diaz extension is Jonathan Aranda. Yeah. How does he fit into this roster overall if you have Diaz and Paredes? It's a little bit curious to me, unless Aranda is up in the outfield, but then well, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense either. So, I mean, I would prefer Aranda just gets to be like a everyday DH sort of thing with the current roster construction. And let's just see if the kid can actually hit. But yeah, it's a it's a weird fit for him. And I mean, he still does have the options remaining. It wouldn't shock me if you see like Josh Lowe break camp with the team over him um, and be kind of, you know, you have him and Bruhan that can fill in in the outfield where like now between uh, Diaz and Ramirez and Paredes and Brandon Lau, who I've been saying for the last couple seasons could maybe move over to first base. You don't need a Jonathan Aranda, nor is there really room for him, a guy that you don't trust really anywhere defensively. Maybe you can stick him at first. You can put him at second in a pinch. Um, so I could see Josh Lowe, you know, making it over Aranda. And I, I say that, but there's it doesn't really seem like there's much more development at AAA for Aranda to do. It feels like he's going to need to go through some more big league growing pains if he's ever going to break out offensively. Um, but again, I mean, 
yes, there's a lot of talk the Rays could have went out and added a big bat. I'm sure they tried, but this is what we've got. And if you look at a fully healthy Rays team, I don't think you're looking at a middle-of-the-pack offense. I think you're looking at at an above-average offense and one that, when it's fully healthy, and if these guys develop as we expect, could be towards towards the top of the league like they were two seasons ago. Yeah, to some extent, the Rays, to be successful, also have to trust their system. And right. forever, I feel like we just trusted the system to produce pitchers and then figured out everything else. Um, but... You know, Brandon Lau came out of the system, so that maybe kind of throws my argument a little bit to the side. You know, Wander Franco came from inside the system. But there's just guys that are next in line, and Mead and Manzaro might be the future, but in the meantime, you need to see if Aranda can hit. And worst-case scenario with these guys like Paredes or uh, Aranda, like if, if the ultimate answer, or even Diaz, if the ultimate answer is eventually we need to, like, have a trade or – just cut them like DFA. Like it, <laughs> prospects well, like are good. Pro, prospects are going to break your heart. Like if, if, if we were being, I think, a little overly optimistic in the Rays system when they were winning the pennant, they were they were ranked number one uh, in the prospect rankings. That all of these guys were going to come up and be all stars, uh, and that was never sure. going to happen. And with that being said, they were all rookies. And I, and I keep focusing on the group of Walls, Bruhan, and Lowe. There are others. Sure. Um, they were rookies last year. And development is not linear. Uh, Josh Lowe ended the, the big league season with an 83 WRC+. plus. Not the worst in the world. Like, for, for a rookie, Taylor Walls brings great defense and had a 66 WRC+. plus. He's going into his age 26 season, so we'd like to see that improve. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, they were rookies for a reason, and I'd, I'd like to see really all three of them get uh, big league chances this year before we... We write them off. Well, in the same way, Jose Siri should be getting big league chances or yeah. Isaac Paredes should be getting big league chances. Yeah. It, the race saw guys who were not being given a chance and acquired them. Sometimes you got to look at your own system and says, who needs a chance here as well. Right. Um, well, I said we weren't going to take that big picture and then we just kind of had a referendum on the entire off season right there. But I think we did it nice and uh, we made it nice and concise. We didn't go on too many tangents. Um, but it is 8.47 here on the East Coast as we record, and I do have to get to work. And I think, Danny, <laughs> uh, you do as well. <laughs> I am mid-commute for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I will record a new Raise Your Voice here in the coming uh, days to maybe go a little bit more in-depth on all of the decisions made by the Rays this offseason. But with all of the news in recent days, we thought we had to get on and record right now, and I'm glad that we did. So, Danny, thank you for, for coming on. Yeah, man. All right, that's going to do it for this uh, morning reaction. Um, thank you guys for listening. If you like what we do, just make sure to subscribe and uh, stay tuned for for more news on what we've got going on at the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. Uh, thank you guys very much, and I'll talk to you later.